0: question is what can the believer do? What strength, what confidence should the believer have in their life? Our strength. When the world's foundations are crumbling is in Jesus Christ. One more time. Lift up with everything that you have.
1: Welcome to the Fellowship of the Rockies radio ministry with Senior Pastor Charlie Jones. Fellowship of the Rockies is Pueblo's contemporary evangelistic church and it is our hope that today's message will uplift and encourage you as we learn how God's Word applies to our lives every day. Join us for one of our three weekend services, Sunday morning at 9am and 1045am or Saturday evening at 6pm. And now, Fellowship of the Rockies Senior Pastor Charlie Jones.
0: We're continuing through 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be today. We're going to be in two groups of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and then Mark chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can begin to turn there. Let's just walk through this and see what Paul has for us this morning. He says now, he says now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. So he's still talking about giving, but all of a sudden he begins to lighten the tone. He said, let me, let me just talk to you about this. He said, I know I really don't need to. Why? For I know your readiness. In other words, they had already started to respond. They already understood what God had asked them to do, what God had called them to do. And so this group of people, they already started to respond. Of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has already... Uh, has been ready since last year. And then here we go. We're just going to preach this phrase uh, tonight, today. It says, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. In other words, your testimony has stirred up, provoked, encouraged. There's something encouraging about testimonies, right? There's something encouraging to hear what God is doing in someone else's life. But I'm sending the brothers so that that our boasting about you may may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as... As I said, you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you had promised so that it may be a ready and willing gift, not as an extraction. There's something positive about this, this issue about hearing someone else's testimony and, and hearing someone else talk about that. You know, this last week I heard from person after person. And so this morning, here's what I want to do. I just want to, I want to give you a personal testimony and i want to talk to you about the reasons that, that karen and i give at the level that we do it's just our personal story as we walk through this and and uh i started out with 15 and then i narrowed it down to 10 and then I narrowed it down to six and then Saturday morning I came up with the top four uh, because that's really all that we have time for. And so as we walk through this and these four principles, you just got to understand they're going to start out real superficial and then they're going to get deeper as we go on. So, so, so the first reason that we give is because of this. I am really a better person when I give. I know that's narcissistic, but I am a better person when I give. God has wired us to give. God has created us to give. And it may seem narcissistic, but when I give, and I'm a better person, I'm a happier person. I mean, have you ever given a gift? Have you ever given something to someone and you've got more satisfaction than they? There is something about giving. I am a better person. Man, I am a better person. When I give, and when I give, I remind myself that, you know what, I work hard for my money. And when I give, I remind myself that I live within my means so that I have discretionary income. When I give, I I remind myself that the reason that I align myself with Scripture and Proverbs and all the financial principles of Scripture is that I align myself in such a way that I have discretion. Listen, I am fully aware that there are some people that you really wanna give but your money manages you and you don't manage your money. You broke all the principles in scripture about money management and you have become slave to the lender is what Proverbs would say. Slave to MasterCard, Visa, American Express, a bank. And when you see a need, you can't even meet it. That's why Paul told the Corinthians, give out of what you have not what you don't have. And Paul was helping the Corinthians to understand that you've got to live within your means so that you're able to give and you're able to meet needs. The second reason that we give at the level that we do is but I give because I've committed my life to him and he has asked me to give. For me, it was this decision about, do I really believe that I can trust God? Do I really believe that I can trust God with my finances? Do I really believe that I can trust God with my money? Listen, If you and I can't trust God with our money, how can we trust him with eternal life? How can we trust him with salvation? And so when I came to the point that he asked me to give 10% back to him, it was no big deal for me. It's not even an issue for me because I'd committed my life to the one and dedicated my life to the one that asked me to give. The third reason that we give is this. I give to keep myself under the umbrella and protection of God. I give to keep myself under the umbrella and the protection of God. Fact is, when I was on that journey and and trying to figure out scripture for myself and trying to figure out my commitment level, here's what I learned about scripture. Everywhere in scripture that Jesus in the New Testament and the Old Testament, where God talked about the issue of giving and God asked to give, there was, there was a scripture that called us to give, but then right after that, there was a promise. It's called a conditional promise in scripture. There's, there's unconditional promises of scripture, and there's, there, there's conditional promises of scripture. And so there were some conditional promises of scripture that if you do this, I'll do this. And so obviously, when we walked through this issue on giving, and I started pulling out all the scriptures. I found that when we give, there's, there's some promises of scripture god showing favor on us and god blessing us and god protecting us that we come under his umbrella of protection and many of you know my story and i was an engineer in houston texas and in 1994 i got started talking about and god stirred a dream in my heart to plant a church in pueblo colorado and we left everything in 1995 we left parents we left grandparents uh, we, we left possessions. I mean, we absolutely left everything and we came here to plant a church without any promise of income, without any promise of financial stability or anything like that. We just came trusting God. But see, i had been trusting my life to him for a number of years. So it was really and truly no big deal for me to trust my life to him to make this move. And so we, we came here and in the housing market was, was, was upside down in, in Houston, and, and you couldn't give a house away. Fact is, a house was selling for about 30 bucks a square foot then, and they were 60 to $100 a square foot here. So it was, it was totally inverted, and it was it was, it was was hard. In fact, is, you couldn't give a house away in Houston, Texas, and you couldn't buy a house fast enough in Pueblo, Colorado during that time. Houses were selling the same day. Houses were selling within an hour. There were people paying more than what the, the seller was asking for. It was hard to find a rental place. We would come here and look for a rental house, and uh, we'd be 15 to 60 people applying for the same house. And so it's just a different time and God opened up a house for us to to rent and we rented a house and and but we couldn't sell our house in Houston Texas and so we had to rent it so we hired a a real estate agent and, and asked them to rent our house and so they managed it and so unfortunately we found like the worst renter you could find and so soon they quit paying their rent and then not only that they did a bunch of damage they had pit bulls and so they used one of our bedrooms as a, as a kennel and uh, the dogs you know chewed up all the carpet the baseboards the window seals <laughs> the doors <laughs> and so so we had to evict them and uh, we had to repair the, the house and it was like 35 38 hundred dollars and we didn't have it and so we had to borrow the money just so we could get the house repaired and I don't know if you've ever done this Man, I was really angry at God and so you go through the pity party deal and you go through the part of of the game of play and hey God can't you see all that I'm doing for you and and I'm like you know God you know if you couldn't sell the house at least you could do is get us a good renter you know that type of deal I'm, I'm just telling you it was just what was going through my mind and maybe I'm the only one that's ever had these thoughts and so I was going through my list of stuff and you know you, you can't sell it and and it was really a difficult time and so a year later we, we just figured we'd never, ever be able to buy a house in Pueblo, Colorado. And so we would kind of resigned ourselves that we'd rent for the rest of our life. And so our daughter, oldest daughter, Brittany, uh, was in the fourth or fifth grade at the time. For some odd reason, she's reading the classifieds about houses for sale. And she opens up the paper on a Saturday and she says, here's the house for us. And so li- listen to the description of the house. And then it was about $60,000 under market. And I'm like, that's crazy. God can't be in that. That place is probably destroyed and all this stuff. And so, so Karen and the girls talked me into at least driving by. So we drove by and, and on the outside is a beautiful house. So then I said, you know, being the spiritual leader, optimism, you know, guy, I'm like, well, the house is probably just devastated inside. It's probably horrible. It's probably a junker. I'm not wasting my time. And they go, well, can we, can you at least call the realtor and ask him to, if we can look at it? So I said, sure. If you want to waste your time, you waste your time. I don't, but I'm not. so they go the next morning at 10 o'clock and and karen walked in the house and she said it was like god whispered to her and said this is your house and so she called me immediately and she says you got to get here right right now we got to put a contract on this house and see it was an older couple that had the house and they they found a dream house in in the mesa and they bought the house in the 70s they bought it new so they they put it under market because they needed to sell it in three days and so they told the real estate agent, bring us all the, all the contracts. At the end of three days, we'll decide. And so uh, I walked through it. And actually it was a blur because Karen and the girls were so excited, they just pushed me through it. And I, I You know, the first time I really saw the house is the, is the day we moved in. And so, <laughs> so I looked at the real estate agent, and he says, well, how about it? You wanna put a contract down? And I says, uh, no, we don't have a down payment. And he goes, well, You're a pastor, aren't you? And I go, yeah. He said, "Uh, why don't you just trust God and see what he'll do? He said, you know, a number of years back, he said, I'm a believer. A number of years back, I had cancer. And I wasn't expected to live. And I decided to trust God and see what he'd do. And look at me, I'm still going. And Karen's like, yeah, he's the spiritual leader of our house. (laughs) so I said "Well, okay I just want to be upfront with you we don't have a down payment I, w- I want to be just a person of integrity we'll lay it out on the line we, you know we're probably not I don't want it to be a downer for you when you learn all this and so he says I'm willing to walk this road with you it's okay so we put a contract down on the house the night is a Wednesday night 7 o'clock the leasing agent uh, whatever the name of the, the, the agent that, the, the, anyway, the guy that had the contract, he met with the people and he, he had four contracts. And I still remember we, my family, we knew what time the agent was going to be there. We loaded up in our, in our suburban because everyone from Texas drives a suburban. And so we drove and I sat there in front of the house with my family and we prayed that they'd accept us. Another reason I give is I wanna leave a legacy to my children, that I'm a giver, that I care about my fellow man, and I care about my church, that I'm not, this Christianity for me is just not something that I say, and it's just not something I talk about, but it's something I'm actually willing to stake my life on, because it's worth it, because he is faithful. They accepted our contract, and here's the crazy deal. Ours wasn't for the most money. The family, we got to meet them when we did a walkthrough and they were believers from another church in town and we still stayed connected. We still didn't have a down payment. Karen started the next day packing by faith. And so she began, the more I got discouraged, the more she packed. And so within three days, she had her whole house packed. And I'm like, God, if you don't come through on this one, my wife is gonna need serious counseling. I mean, there's gonna be like a huge, I mean, we got a lot on the line here and so two weeks before before we were to close on the house um i got a call from mike the guy who had rented our house he said hey mike he said hey charlie this is mike do you remember me and i'm like yeah i think of you all the time (laughs) 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 and he said uh i just gotta ask for your forgiveness man i'm so sorry he said that was a horrible time of my life and I was living with a girl and then he blamed her for everything. it was all her. And... he says, but even though it was all her, I, I have to take responsibility. My name was on the contract. I'm the one that rented the house. And he says, so I need to ask for your forgiveness. And then he need, I need to ask you how much, how much damage did I do? And I says, you know, you did about $3,800 worth. I can send you the receipts. He said, I don't need the receipts. He said, I've already gone to the bank. I got a loan. I'm sending you a cashier's check tomorrow. Still needed more, and God provided that. And By giving, we haven't been made millionaires and all that stuff that is taught so wrong about scripture. I can tell you this. We can't afford all the stuff that we probably would like. But he has met every one of our needs. Everyone. And, we have, and a lot of you that emailed me or talked to me, talked about how God is in a downturn in an economy and you gave testimony after testimony of what God has done in your life. And we got huge memories. My girls have huge memories. And, and so I, I learned this. I just learned that, you know, I'm not rich enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not powerful enough to protect myself and to protect my family for my financial future. So I've decided to surrender to him and come under his umbrella of protection and grace and love and trust my life to him. And maybe you're smart enough, and maybe you're rich enough, and maybe you're powerful enough. If so, do whatever you want with your money. But I'm going to live my life in a surrendered position to Him. Because I need it. I just need it. The last reason that we give to the level that we do is I give because I love our church. I love this church and I love the vision of this church and you know what success is for us it's when a person walks through those doors and they may have never been in church before in their life they, they may have been in church as a child and they walked away from church they may have gone through some hurt and some pain they may have gone through a church experience where it really didn't relate to them and it really wasn't relevant to them they may not buy everything we say when they first walk in the doors but they're willing to come back. And then the day comes when they meet Christ. Don't you love being a part of a church like that? Some of you, many of you, weren't attending church anywhere five years ago. You didn't even think church had anything to offer you. You didn't even think church was relevant. You didn't even think you could find a church where there wasn't guilt and there wasn't judgment and there wasn't condemnation. And you came in this place. And you learned there was a group of people that loved you and prayed for you before they ever met you. Mark chapter 10 is the story, a true story, about a, a man who met Jesus. It's called the story of the rich, rotten, young ruler. And I'd just like to walk through that with you as we close. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, here's what the scripture says. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Huge question. I mean, huge. I mean, this must have been on this man's mind, on this man. I mean, this man ran up to him and said, Jesus, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to them, watch this, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. The first principle, the first thing that Jesus taught him was this, being good is not good enough to have eternal life. Romans says there is not one of us that's good, not one. Scripture says that we have, we have, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can live a life good enough for eternal life. And I know we live in a time of, of, of religion by morality. That just as I live a good life, just as I have a moral life, then I get eternal life. But listen, scripture says there's nothing, none of us can be good enough to earn eternal life. If you and I could live a life good enough, then Jesus' death on the cross was a waste. It didn't even need to take place. If we could live life good enough, so the first thing that Jesus said is, says, hey, man, I just gotta tell you, you can't live a life good enough to earn eternal life. Watch this. So you know the commandments, so Jesus now tells him the 10 commandments. But I counted them, watch this, we got a problem. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. That's only six. Did Jesus forget the first four? Could he not remember the first four? Why would Jesus tell him, hey, you know the commandments, and then rattle off only six of them? The reason is this. The commandments are broken up in groups. The first four is your relationship to God. Jesus knew the man doesn't have a relationship with God. He's trying to drive home a point. See, the first commandment is this. Do not create an idol before me. In other words, his money, his resources, his wealth had become an idol. He hung on tighter to his wealth than he did to Christ. He didn't even know Christ. And so the man said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I've lived a good life. I'm a good person. I do more good than bad. All that you rattled off, I'm doing it. But Jesus tried to drive home a point that you'll never be good enough for eternal life. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, stop up there. Jesus loved him even before he ever met him. Even though the man was far away from God, Jesus loved him. The greatest act of love that you and I can ever have is to tell the truth to someone, even if it hurts them. Jesus was willing to do that. Jesus knew that what he was about ready to tell this man was going to hurt this man deeply, emotionally. In fact, it was going to cause the man to walk away. Jesus understood that. The greatest act of love that you and I can have for someone else is to tell him the truth. And Jesus said to him, Sir, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Now, listen, Jesus wasn't saying that if you give all you have and you've got to give it all away to get eternal life, you buy eternal life. That's not what he was saying. Jesus, even in the moment of salvation, said there's a principle about giving you give, you'll be blessed. You give, you'll come under my protection. That's all he was telling him. And he says, So, and then he goes on and he says, And come and follow me. I mean, Jesus told the rich young ruler the thing it's the same thing that he told everyone else, just follow me. Christianity is not something you say, it's not something you think, it's not something you know. It is something that you actually do. And then he goes on verse 22, watch this. The man, disheartened by the same, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed. That word amazed in the Greek, it's only two times in the New Testament, and it means just shock. I mean, it's it's a it's a very emotional, it's just it's just it's it's astounding. And they're like shocked at his words. But Jesus says to them, again, children, I, I need you to understand this, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of, of God. In other words, Your wealth can keep you from it. And then he goes on. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because they put their trust in wealth. They put their trust in riches. They don't think they need him. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? If you can't be good enough to be saved, if you can't give all of your wealth away to be saved, who can be saved? Who can have eternal life? I mean, this is an honest question. And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God for all things are possible. Jesus was telling them this, that you cannot be good enough to be saved. You can never live a good enough life to be saved and it is impossible for you to save yourself. With man, impossible. With man, never do enough good stuff. But with God, it's possible. Because of death, burial,
1: and resurrection on the cross. Can see you have been listening to the Fellowship of the Rockies radio ministry. At Fellowship of the Rockies, you will find a relaxed, friendly atmosphere, uplifting praise and worship, and life-changing groups for adults and teens. Fellowship of the Rockies is a community-oriented church where you can build lasting personal and spiritual relationships. Fellowship of the Rockies is located at 3892 West Northern Avenue, next to Kmart. We have three weekend services, Saturday at 6 p.m., Sunday at 9 a.m., and Sunday at 1045 a.m., all with fully staffed children and student ministries. For more information, call the church office at 544-5000. Fellowship of the Rockies, connecting God, people, and community.